A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's episode contains language some listeners may find offensive. In this episode of The Bell Tale, sectarianism. Finland bastards! What is it? Whose fault is it? And is it getting worse? We've actually seen an increase of sectarian incidents and an increase in sectarian crimes. Nationalists point to effigies, genocidal slogans, and flags being burned on loyalist bonfires. The PSNI received multiple reports of flags, effigies and election posters featuring nationalist, republican and cross-community representatives being placed on the bonfires before they were lit. But unionists point to what they see as the veneration of the IRA as evidence of sectarianism on the nationalist side. Sectarianism is, is always them and it's never us. Joining me to discuss this massive topic is the Belfast Telegraph's political editor, Suzanne Bring. So Suzanne, sectarianism sometimes seems like a, a catch-all term. It's a term we use an awful lot here. But what, what does it mean from your point of view? Sectarianism for me, I suppose, is prejudicial attitudes or structures that discriminate against or abuse people on the basis of religion. Um, Sectarianism can involve crude behaviour like we've seen in Northern Ireland on the streets on countless summers. But I think there's also structural sectarianism um, where, where views and, and decisions have been taken by men with posh accents and suits that have discriminated against communities in Northern Ireland at, at various times for decades. Um, so I, I, I don't think sectarianism is, is just as easy to define as some people think. Um, I, I'm not surprised at all that, that there is such strong sectarianism at, at at times in Northern Ireland and that there are vile slogans that have appeared both on loyalist and on nationalist at times um, bonfires. Northern Ireland was founded on the basis of a sectarian headcount. So you know, it's, such behaviour isn't hugely surprising. Do you think it's getting worse? Well, I, I have mixed feelings on that. I think there's a generation that didn't grow up in conflict, that don't have the prejudices and hold some of the bigoted attitudes that maybe their parents or their grandparents did. But in, in other ways, I think that sectarianism, low-level sectarianism, 
is getting stronger among some sections of the community than it was during the Troubles. It's more acceptable to say or do things that weren't acceptable when 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 there was a war going on, when people were being killed, that human beings being blown up or shot dead, that that actually acted as a restraint on some excesses. Um, certainly, I, I think that cultural identity has become hugely important in Northern Ireland, more, more important perhaps than it was. There was quite a bit of obvious and extreme sectarianism to be seen in and around loyalist bonfires. Now, that's not a new thing. But one of the things that perhaps struck me this year is that it seemed to be vigorously defended by caller after caller after caller on the radio. Are you are you surprised by that kind of defence? I'm not surprised, but I, I am deeply disappointed. I, I think maybe there's a danger here that we have grown too accustomed to these slogans and, you know, K-A-T, kill all takes. What does that mean? It means wipe out every Catholic man, woman or child. It's it's a genocidal message. It's saying that there's not been enough Grey Steels, there's not been enough Lockin Islands, there's not been enough Sean Green's bookie shootings. And if if in Britain there was KAJ, kill all Jews signs, or KAM, kill all Muslim signs, there would be complete and absolute uproar. I mean, Kill All Takes is effectively a rallying call to ethnically cleanse half the population of Northern Ireland and turning a blind eye isn't good enough. Yes, it is definitely only a minority that is involved, but it seems to be tolerated, even defended by greater numbers. Um, It's clearly unacceptable and we had ludicrous situations. We had on the Glen Cairn bonfire, two politicians singled out that are actually known for their cross-community effort. We had the election posters of the SDLPs, Paul Doherty, who runs a food bank and regularly delivers to Glen Cairn and the Greater Shankill area. We had Jerry Carroll, who supported Caterpillar workers in their recent strike, and many of those workers are from the unionist community and some live in Glen Cairn, and yet their posters symbolically representing them were going up in flames in this bonfire. I also spoke to the unionist activist and commentator, Richard Garland. The best definition I could come up with was from the 2015 advisory group on tackling sectarianism in Scotland, mainly because it kind of shows the full scale of sectarianism, because I think a lot of people just think tribalism, it's, you know, even having an opinion on the union is sectarianism. To other people, you know, they think it's just abuse and violence, whereas this definition states it's a mixture of the perceptions, attitudes, actions and structures that involve overlooking, excluding, discriminating against or being abusive or violent towards others on the basis of their perceived denominational background. And it makes the point that it's mixed with other factors such as politics, even football allegiance and identity. And the Scottish group Nil by Mouth, they pointed out that you don't actually need to be a member of a group to be a victim of sectarianism. It can be the school you attend, it can be the community you, you belong to, your accent, the, the things you were. Um, and I think that's really relevant in Northern Ireland because a lot of times people will people will quibble about the, the you know the, the definition and they'll be like, well, that's not sectarianism because it's political, because it's nationality. But I think the three are interwoven in our context. 
But the last three years, we've actually seen an increase of sectarian incidents and an increase in sectarian crimes. It's not a an overly significant rise, but it's a steady rise each year. We've seen the crimes rising since 2017 and the incidents have been rising since 2018. We have sectarian threats being issued. We've seen a return of the sort of language of Lundy's traitors, West Brits, Castle Catholics, that kind of abuse being aimed at even, even moderates in our society as if you're not unionist enough, you're not nationalist enough. And to me, that that's still sectarianism. Those those derogatory terms are sectarian. We've seen, you know, abuse appear on social media, which has got worse and worse in, in the last number of years. Sort of around the time we've had Brexit, we've had the protocol. These are serious issues. And even in terms of, we're talking about the definition of sectarianism, part of that definition is ignoring its exclusion, it's dismissing each other. Unionists and nationalists have both shown a lack of empathy towards each other. And that, and to a degree, when we're dismissing legitimate concerns, we're being sectarian. When we're talking about an Irish language act, how many unionists spoke up and said, well, it's in the St. Andrews Agreement, it should be upheld. I, there wasn't very many. There was no empathy there. And likewise with the protocol, how many nationalists are turned around and saying, well, I can understand these concerns about the border because if it was me, I'd be concerned. But the stage is set where things could get drastically worse in the coming future. So that's what I'm concerned about. I, re I really am concerned about where we are now. I, I know I know we've come a long way and, and I, I hear Alison, Alison Morris when she says that we've come so far since, since, the, since the days of the peace process. But honestly, I'm worried that the last few years are getting worse and we can't afford to be complacent about this. You know, we saw Joe Brawley's comments this week comparing, basically comparing the Orange Order to the Ku Klux Klan. You know, you, you can you can certainly raise criticisms of the Orange Order. You can raise criticisms in and around our culture, but bringing up historical issues and isolated incidents to demonize the culture that has has moved significantly forward in the in the last couple of decades, it, it's not right. He's entitled to give his opinion. He's not entitled to stereotype the Orange Order on or or, or any culture. That people are just lumping us all together, ignoring the fact that some sections of our community are really making an effort to show leadership, are putting their necks on the line to show leadership, and then they're going to just be lumped in with all the other ones who aren't, who, who are self-absorbed, only interested in their own pockets a lot of the time. Marginalization actually contributes to sectarianism and it actually provides fertile ground for paramilitarism to take hold and to grow. So I, I, I really do think that, you know, these issues need to be taken seriously. But let's let's be honest, and I suppose brutally honest. What aboutery seems to be the ultimate defence to almost anything here in Northern Ireland, and we have, of course, seen utterly vile nationalist bonfires too. Do you think we'll ever get past what aboutery? What aboutery is the curse of Northern Ireland. I mean, as a journalist. I find if I write about an atrocity during the Troubles, if I write about Bloody Sunday or Ballon Murphy, you'll get people then coming in and, and saying to you on social media, why don't you write about IRA atrocities? If you write about Kings Mill, you will get people from another community saying, why don't you write about what the UVF did or what the UDA did? And on bonfires, it seems that we have whataboutery on steroids. Um when I was writing last week, both in the Belfast Telegraph and, and on social media about um, behaviour at loyalist bonfires and I was being critical of it, I, I was inundated with people sending me photos of obnoxious and offensive Republican bonfires and asking, 
what do you think about that? And I, I think that people very often only read the first few paragraphs of um, your story because certainly in the case of mine, if they had read on, Republican bonfires were actually covered too. We have seen bonfires in recent years in the bog side, in Derry with the names of murdered police and prison officers, David Black, Adrian Ismay, Stephen Carroll and Ronan Kerr. We've seen a bonfire in Newry with kill all Hun signs, um, other placards celebrating the death of 18 soldiers in narrow water. The, 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 the words written were 18 Brits blown to bits. We have seen a placard placed mocking the late IRA victims campaigner Willie Fraser. It said, join your da in hell, Willie. So there certainly is sectarian incidences and hate crime at nationalist bonfires too. I think the difference is that these bonfires are nowhere near as extensive as the ones in loyalist areas. And the bonfires themselves are condemned by Sinn Féin and the SDLP, not just the offensive material, but the actual bonfires, where bonfires, by comparison, are generally endorsed by unionist politicians. So I I, I think the, the bonfires in nationalist areas are much more politically fringe events than the ones in loyalist areas, though it, it would have to be said that the Derry bonfire, the one in the bog side, has drawn crowds. Um, and I, I remember two years ago I had written a piece about um, Kill All Takes being on a children's loyalist bonfire and I had tweeted um, about it and again just inundated with people saying what about Republican bonfires and um, one person asked me about Republican bonfires where there were appalling slogans about the death of IRA victims and I replied to him that it was sick it was sick to joke about killing of, of any human being and I asked if he felt the same way about the kill all take signs and I was surprised by the brutal honesty of, of his reply. He said, no, he didn't really feel that way because at the end of the day, it was what he called the RC community that were the aggressors. You reap what you sow. I think it's it's actually bad for unionism that their leaders don't call out what happens at bonfires roundly and swiftly. It would be pragmatic if they did so because this sort of behaviour does unionism no favours. Um, this isn't the old Northern Ireland. Demographics are changing. We don't live in the days now where there is a reliable and solid majority for unionism and if there's a border poll it will be the votes of those who define themselves as other in Northern Ireland or even those who are culturally nationalist but maybe not politically so that will be the deciding factor and you know do unionists really think that kill all takes on a bonfire is going to win support for the union in a referendum and unionism has to get smarter it's always talking about getting smarter and talking about changing and being tactical, but it just needs to quit talking about it and do it, get smarter. Yes, some people feel it is perfectly all right to put a flag of a foreign nation. Do you think it's okay? Well, I have no problem about burning of a a tricolour on top of a a bonfire. Let's be honest, I'm not going to make any apologies for that.
To get a viewpoint from a broadly nationalist point of view, I spoke to Belfast writer Padraig O'Meshkill. It's all the, the things that you see manifested over the month of July and the rest of the year. But I think maybe one of the most important things it is, is one of the most neglected things in terms of of, of people talking about it and, and, and analyzing it. And, that, and that's, I mean, sectarianism in our context is a means of organizing society and, and was a means of organizing society. And if we don't understand it as such, then we, we, we'll just go around in, in the vicious circle we're helping doing. I mean, I think a lot of people prefer to, to think of sectarianism just as, 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 as bad opinions and haunted down myths and all those type of things, which it is as well. But um, whenever we understand it as a, as a means of organizing society in the North and all the sort of attendant um, outcomes that that brings, I mean, if you go, go on look on the, the Northern Ireland Statistics, uh, NISRA, the research agency, and their multi-deprivation multi index. Uh, NISRA have been campaigning the multi-deprivation index since, I think, 1998. And go, go and look at the top 10 most deprived areas in the north of Ireland in 1998, and then go and look at their latest report, I think, is from two years ago, and look at the, the, the difference, because there isn't a difference. The, the 10 most deprived areas in the north of Ireland in 1998, I think seven of them are, are working-class nationalist areas, are the 10 most deprived areas in the north of Ireland in 2022. Do you think it's getting worse or do you think it's getting better? To a degree, I don't think it matters. The fact that it exists is the problem. Um, and if we don't face up to that in the sense of, of, of looking at those outcomes and, and the legacy of sectarianism, and if we're not honest with ourselves that it was a means of organising power in this place, then it will fester and it will linger. But many people from a loyalist background see it in a very different way, despite the fact that they may be not be well off by any means and may be among the poorest people in our society, but they see their culture and they see that their culture is being labelled as sectarian and they see themselves being demonised. Do you think there's any truth in that? And if there is any truth in that, how can it be solved? That's quite the question. I mean, I think the first thing is, what, I mean, what are people referring to when they refer to culture? If culture is uh, like a, an implication to, to the ethnic cleansing on a bonfire, well, that mean that, that, that there's no demonization required for that. I mean, kill all pigs. I mean, if, if, if that's a part of culture, then de I mean, the demonization is done for itself. But I mean, I also think that there's a point there within that about demonization. But who is doing the demonizing and for what purpose? I mean, the fact that you refer to, and everybody does, um, these communities as loyalists, um, I think is indicative of the problem. Um, what, I mean, if we sit down and think about it, what is the ideological difference between unionism and loyalism? I mean, there isn't one. The difference is that loyalism is, is a term that allows the unionist middle class off the hook. It allows unionism in terms of, of political parties and um, loyal orders and all that type of stuff from churches and, and the general unionist middle class. It allows them to don the cloak of respectability and, and then whenever you have the sectarian manifestations of unionism, they, they, they're allowed to wash their hands of it and call it loyalism. We, we need to, as a society, collectively face up the sectarianism, that it isn't some sort of working class concern or, or the preserve of loyal or unionist working class communities. I mean, certainly there's sectarianism in, in nationalist communities as well. 
the middle classes in this society need to take their share of the blame because who who has benefited? I mean, because things don't happen. Things like sectarian societies don't happen by accident. They happen because a group of people have decided that they will benefit it materially, socially and economically from the organisation of society in such a way. So who has benefited from the sectarian society that we've lived in for the last hundred years? Because it wouldn't it wouldn't still exist if there weren't beneficiaries of it. And the, and the beneficiaries of the sectarian society that we're forced to subsist in is, has traditionally been the unionist middle class and, and increasingly a, a, a new nationalist middle class, which have, who have been the only beneficiaries of, of what's called the peace dividend. These sections of our society need to, to take a share of the blame because until they, until they do, we, we will just continue with this sort of vicious circle of, of outrage and then hand-washing. And what about the flags issue? Um... We often see, we almost always see an Irish tricolour on on a loyalist bonfire, for example, and we see um, flags relating to the unionist community on the bonfires in nationalist areas and the one in Newry, the one in Derry, for example. Um, I mean, is that burying of flags uh, a sectarian issue itself? Well, I I, I don't think um, burning flags is a hate crime. Um, We have seen... You know, in, in history, flags across the world have been burned. And I, I, I think that um, burning the, 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 the rainbow flag, I think, in, it is seen as a hate crime in the States, but burning the stars and stripes actually isn't. We've seen Israeli flags burnt. Um, so sometimes it, it's, it is actually more of a political issue. Um, but... You know, I, I think in the context of Northern Ireland, it's, it's moronic and ridiculous that in this day and age we're burning tricolours or Union Jacks. I mean, back again during the Troubles, if after Bloody Sunday Republicans had burnt Union flags, if after an IRA atrocity like Kingsmill, Loyalists had burned tricolours, if there was a big wave of emotion that people were carried away with, then... That would be a, a context, you know, like if, if Ukrainians were burning Russian flags after their homes had been decimated and their their their, their streets and, and, and people had been killed in Russian airstrikes. But nothing like that is happening here. Um, so I, I think that there is no argument that there is a place for that in modern day Northern Ireland. I wouldn't put burning a flag in the same category as burning an election poster burning a flag is more anonymous burning an election poster is more intimate and i would put burning an effigy of a politician as much worse than burning an election poster again it's very very intimate i mean when when i read of effigies of naomi long shell o'neill mary lou mcdonald being burnt on a bonfire very lifelike effigies with crowds gathering around, celebrating and cheering. It seemed to me that it was like something out of the Middle Ages, not a civilised modern day democracy. Suzanne, you've spent a lot of um, your journalistic career writing for newspapers based in Dublin. How do you feel that the Southern media present Northern Ireland and present sectarianism? I don't get the criticism of Southern media, um, the people who say that, you know, they are biased in favour of nationalism and 
they're somehow not um, being fair to unionism. I spent a large part of my career, most of it indeed, working for Southern media organisations. I never detected overt sympathy for nationalism combined with hostility to unionism or an absence of loyalist voices. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Um, I worked in the Irish Times for over a decade and there was a great demand for articles from and about working class loyalist areas and to go out into the community and get those raw voices and report on what they were saying. And and, and indeed, I, I would say we ran far more articles along those lines than um, doing the same in the Republican community. Um, certainly when it came to paramilitaries, it would have been much easier to get an interview printed with the UDA than it would have been um, to do the same with the IRA. And if, if I look today, I think Southern newspapers are very fair to unionists and loyalists. And the same goes for RTE. And indeed, its coverage of the 12th has been praised by uh, people in the unionist community who had no time for the BBC coverage. Now, some people do say, of course, that over the last 20 years, although we do have a big sectarian problem here, that things have actually got better. What do you think? Well, Clearly, there is less trouble um, with bonfires and with the 12th now than there was a decade ago. But I still think it's just very grim that nearly a quarter of a century after the Good Friday Agreement, these hateful attitudes still persist and people are still putting signs on bonfires, effectively calling for the murder of their neighbours. Um, we will have the August bonfires in nationalist areas um, soon. I, I, I think they're being planned for in certain districts. I, I would hope that wiser and older heads would, would intervene and, and they wouldn't um, go ahead. But I think that if they do, there is an onus on public representatives to try to intervene and stop the worst excesses. Um, I think when people put up these shameful signs calling for a community to be killed or celebrating the, the, the death of others in the Troubles, they think that they are hurting the other community and, and they're hurting the families of the dead. And yes, they are. They think that they're also demeaning the community or individuals, but I don't think they're doing that. They're not demeaning their targets. They are only demeaning themselves. Suzanne Breen, political correspondent with the Belfast Telegraph. Thank you. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. Clips from UTV, BBC, Cool FM, and Sky. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.